welcome to the Smart Connector podcast, which looks at the power of connection in business and life. Featuring solo episodes as well as a range of exciting interviews with entrepreneurs across multiple sectors, we offer tips and advice to build your impact, wealth and success, attract others for all the right reasons, and become a Smart Connector, the architect of your amazing business and life. Welcome to today's episode of the Smart Connector podcast. My guest is Bill Schley, an award-winning brand expert who began his career as a writer at the legendary New York ad agency Ted Bates, which the series Mad Men was based on. Bill is author of the best-selling book, The Microscript Rules, How to Tell Your Story and Differentiate Your Brand in a Sentence or Less, among several others. In this powerful and insightful discussion, we discuss the concept of the dominant selling idea as well as microscripts, which are marketing messages that tell a story and evoke powerful emotion. They're those short phrases that people repeat to others and that stick. Microscripts are used everywhere, but especially in brand marketing and the political arena. And we also talk about Bill's time at the Ted Bates Agency and his exciting new initiative, the Brand Titans Masterclass. I have such an incredible guest for you today. He's such a legend, and I've been wanting to interview this guy for such a long time. Welcome, Bill Schley. Hi, how are you? It's great to be here. So, Bill, you're an award-winning branding expert. You're a best-selling author, a speaker, and president and co-founder of Brand Team 6, and you're best known for creating the dominant selling idea at some of the world's most amazing, successful agencies. So you go way back, don't you? All the way back to the Ted Bates Advertising Agency, which was the original Mad Men agency in New York. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to go into that in the interview. And you've also written several books, but one of them, which is is my personal favorite, is The Microscript Rules, How to Tell Your Story and Differentiate Your Brand in a Sentence or Less. So we'll be getting into that as well. But first of all, Before we do that, Bill, I'd just love to hear about your history, really, as an advertising genius and copywriter and creative director in in that industry, and particularly in that formative era where brands really came alive for the first time. Yeah, thanks. And thanks for reminding me how old I am. (laughs) You know, I I don't think of that. And and I make sure that FaceTime is not turned on on my phone, so I never have to look at myself. But... (laughs) No, it's, you know, I did, I think my mother told me that the first words I ever said was melts in your mouth, not in your hand. I think that I always, for whatever reason, as a little kid, I had a fascination with commercials on TV. I don't know, I like the rhythm of them, I like the jingles, but they amused the heck out of me from the time I was a little kid, which would have been in the 60s and the 1960s, folks. But so then when I got out of college, I think... The first thing I did was decide, well, I, I didn't want to work in a bank or something, but I was, I thought maybe I could write TV commercials. So I gave it a try, and luckily someone hired me and one place, and then finally I went to New York because that's the big leagues, and I got hired at Ted Bates. And Ted Bates was the place, that was the tagline agency, it was the, a lot of people think it was the original Madman agency, but Rosser Reeves, who was 
the chairman of Bates, a lot of people say is the archetype type for Don Draper. And as a matter of fact, Matthew Weiner, who made the show, if you're familiar with the show, told that to Ross Reeves' daughter. That's another long story. But anyhow, and so I worked at Bates. The thing was, and Bates was the, the tagline agency. So the melts in your mouth, not in your hand. Rolades gets the, you know, what is it? How do you spell relief? Rolades, Wonder Bread, all of these amazingly iconic brands, Wheaties, Breakfast of Champions, they all came out of Bates. Mm. And, and especially Ross Reeves, who apparently was a gentleman C student in college, but he wrote for his chemistry essay, I guess. He wrote, what is it, DuPont slogan? Oh, yeah. Oh, life from chemistry or something, I guess. Would, oh, better life through chemistry. And apparently, so that's that's how far back he went. But the thing was that these guys, I was a baby at that time. I mean, I don't even think I was, I don't know how old I was, but these guys, the real mad men, and they, but they were all dying of, of cirrhosis of the liver and lung cancer. They walk around the halls. It was really like on that TV show, carrying open bottles of scotch and smoking cigarettes. But they were amazing, amazing branders and created, again, these most iconic brands of all times. I learned a lot from them, obviously. The thing was, there weren't any books in those days. Amazingly, you know, they published 500,000 business books a year now, but there weren't any books. There were a few books, and they didn't teach you that much. They basically expected you to learn by osmosis, if you were going to learn at all, mm. or you got fired. But occasionally, there'd be little gems of wisdom, like Froelich, my boss, who was a legend, would say something like, you know, show me a picture, tell me a story. He wouldn't say, give me a, a, a headline. He'd say, you know, he'd say, tell me a story. Or little things like that. You'd learn that the headline was always in the copy when you ran a print ad. You know, little bits and pieces that they would give you, but really not very much. And I just, I just wished that someone had really given me some kind of a manual for what I was supposed to do. So later on, when I decided to, it was time to write a book because I became a consultant and, you know, if you're going to consultant, then you have to be smart. And the way you tell people you're smart is you're an author of a book. You got to write a book to be smart, right? Yeah. So, but I couldn't write just any old book I had to write because I have a lot of friends in the business that if I wrote another dumb vanity book, they would have killed me. So it took me a long time. I had to write a good book. And I wrote Why Johnny Can't Brand, Rediscovering the Lost Art of the Big Idea, which is where we talked about the dominant selling idea, which is really the Bates USP. But I finally, that's what I endeavored to do, to write. I was, you know, when you do what I do as a creative guy trying to position and, and differentiate companies, you are constantly, you spend your whole career trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, you're trying to figure what the truth is and how to get to the center and the center. And it almost becomes philosophical. You try to crack these code all the time. You try to put the key in the lock that's going to open up this brand and make and this idea that's going to make people really see this product the way you see it, which is the hard thing to do and to get an mm -hmm. idea into other people's heads. And you're constantly, constantly learning and finding better ways and better ways. So, you know, I wrote the first book and then, then the second book was um, uh, The Microscript Rules. And that was where we kind of, all the things that I realized I hadn't I needed to have put in the first book, when to the microscript rules. So it's a never-ending learning process. You get better and better, but the but the core of it never changes. 
And, and, and as a matter of fact, the core of it, the best word I heard for the core of it, I learned from an Israeli special forces secret Navy SEAL told me how to, what the core of branding really is. That was interesting. So yeah, Jane, does that, that's a little bit about my background, but what happened was one more, I did, I always wanted, I was, I've been an entrepreneur my own, my whole life in the sense that I've always sort of made up my own businesses. I never thought I'd do very well working for a boss. It wasn't because I, you know, I just didn't think I'd be good at it. But finally, about 25 years ago, I'd started a company with someone, a small company in software, and we ended up being pretty successful. And what I did was, it was, well, actually my brother, but I came in as the branding and marketing and sales guy. And what we did is we applied these principles of, you know, the great principles to this little tiny company. And we succeeded and sold the company for a lot of money. And I realized that all companies needed this. And it didn't matter whether you're the biggest company in the world or the smallest company in the world. You needed to set yourself apart. And you and a brand was a difference attached to your name. Mm-hmm. You know, all of these great principles. If you can't say them in a sentence, you usually can't say them. Mm. That's what a brand really is. And we could talk. Actually, I should write a book with that title but what a brand is people get very very confused nowadays but a, a brand is a difference attached to your name and if you want it to be a selling brand then it has to be a difference about something that's going to take away my pain or make my life better in some way maybe better than somebody else does yeah so i'd love to talk about this mm-hmm. concept and also about the idea the dominant selling idea that that you yeah. were talking about earlier so what exactly mm-hmm. is a dominant selling idea well see uh, you know everything you find out that everything pretty much comes together in, in branding and it gets very simple for example when people talk about you've got to have a vision statement and a mission statement and a purpose i think all those things are the same in a company i mean i think if you decide to i'm going to make the world's safest cars which is which is the guy that started volvo back in 1907 cuz his mother his his sister-in-law was killed in a car crash he decided he's going to he was going to build the world's safest cars now his vision was to build the world's safest cars you know his mission every day and everybody in that company was to come to that place and build the world's safest cars. And their purpose was to make the world's safest cars. Now, you could say, well, the purpose was to make you know healthier, happier families because their loved ones didn't die in car crashes. But that was, no, it really was to make the world's safest cars. And you know what his, his difference was, his brand, his difference was we make the world's safest cars. And so his, and his positioning was what's your position? We make the world's safest cars. If your brand, what you brand for, and I, I mean, I, I thought of this in the car yesterday. What it might be a bad one, but if you what you brand for is what you stand for. It's that simple, okay? And that and it's that difference that sets you apart that's going to make my life better in some way. So if, anyway, a dominant selling idea means that if you that that difference better be the big most important difference that you really offer to people. And it should be something that you can be number one in, in your category. That's very important Mm -hmm. that the difference be something you can say in our category, we're the best at this. Now people sometimes say, well, yeah, but there's a lot of other people that have a lot of competitors. Yeah. But if somebody, usually they don't own a position and if they do, then you, there's always a new position you can find and be number one in that always 
done every day in branding. But a dominant selling idea, if you break it down, this is this one idea. First, it's five things. It's superlative. It says, we're number one in this thing, okay? I mean, Duracell goes out, we're the longest batteries. And somebody else says, you know, we're the, we're the best at this one thing. So that's, first of all, you have to be superlative at something. The next thing, it has to be believable coming from you. Mm. If you make Colgate toothpaste, you don't want to come out with a product like Colgate bacon. <laughs> and believe me, they did. <laughs> and it was the biggest failure in the world. Because... There's a lot of arrogance in big companies and they say, oh, our brand is so, anything we put our name on, people are going to love. No, they won't. People have an idea of what your brand is. The brand is what lives in other people's heads, not what you think it is. It's what they think it is. So you can't come out with Colgate bacon. Or if you're Volkswagen, do you remember that Volkswagen put out a luxury car called the Phaeton? Maybe a few mm -hmm. years ago? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Absolutely beautiful car. Absolutely beautiful. It was as good as a BMW or a Lexus. It sold three cars. No. Yeah, you know why? Because when when somebody, when some guy finally got his bonus, some guy or lady got their bonus, and they drove down the street in their neighborhood, they didn't want to be seen driving down the street in a Volkswagen. They wanted to come, they needed a BMW or a Mercedes. So, but see, Lexus was smart enough to realize Lexus is Toyota and they were smart enough to know we make the world's best economy cars, but people don't want to come in a luxury Toyota. So they created Lexus mm. because the brand is, so it has to be believable coming from you. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. Um, yeah. Right. The other thing is it has to be important. It has to be something someone wants. So if you own a, a store that sells clothing and you say, we have the largest selection of brown ties in London. I don't know that that's where I'm going to run to get a birthday present for my boyfriend. You know what I'm saying? You know? <laughs> I mean, so what do we have? It's the idea you have to, it's superlative. We, we believe we're the best at something. We do things that no one else does. And I can, we can talk about that later too. It has to be believable. has to be important. Something I want. Then it has to be measurable. It has to, you have to perform what you do. So you, you actually prove what you do with your performance. I can see it working. All right. I mean, if someone buys a Mercedes, it looks like a Mercedes and they open the door and they sit in it and it smells like a Mercedes and the, the, and the seats feel like a Mercedes and they turn on the engine. You know what I'm saying? It's, it has to be measurable. And then the last thing it has to be ownable by you, which means that someone else can't already own that position. Those are the five things, a, a dominant selling idea, superlative, important, believable, measurable means I can see it working or I can watch it perform. And then, you know, is it even available to own? Mm, I love that. Every, yeah. every great brand, not some, every follows those principles because if you want your brand to be a difference and what does that difference do? It's a difference that either takes away some pain or gives me some wonderful advantage to make my life better. Mm -hmm. Okay. And as long as human beings are not cyborgs and machines, but human beings, we, as long as we're emotional beings, we have feelings, we're going to want pain taken away or we're going to want to get some advantage or pleasure we didn't have before. Mm. 
And it doesn't matter whether I'm selling the most boring software in the world or I'm selling perfume or it's always comes down to the, that human part of the equation. The problem is that people, uh, and that's the message, that's the position, that's the differentiation that sets you apart. And it's more important today than ever with, when there's five zillion products running around. Mm. The, and let me finish I'm with my, my little, my big soliloquy here. The other <laughs> The problem is that the modern marketing establishment and the agencies conflate this digital analytics, SEO engineering, all the digital machinery and all and all this electronic stuff that only they understand. They conflate it with this message. Well, the fact is, and, and so and so advertisers and marketers are scared. They're scared because they don't understand it. They don't understand how it all mixes together. The problem is that the digital media is the media. The digital media is just a new set of pipes. It's like the radio or print was years ago. It's the pipes that you send your message. But you once you reach them, you have to have a message that says, out of all these products, this is the difference that will set that will set you apart. And so without that, without starting with the strategy, the positioning and differentiation, you don't have a brand. And what we say, and this is a problem with the word branding, I have to say, because people think of branding as logos and color palettes and, you know, psychological profiles and all those things. Yeah, later on when you're trying to execute it, but in the beginning, it's what is the difference that makes all the difference. And technology changes every day, but the truth never does. Mm, I really, really love that. It's so powerful. And it's the thing that really makes the difference and moves the needle, isn't it, for for businesses and brands is actually getting really clear around that. Yeah, so, yeah I have a, a question for you. While you, you were talking, I was just thinking about Richard mm -hmm. Branson and his Virgin companies, because yeah. he, he has gone into so many different areas, hasn't he? What do you think about about the Virgin brand and about how it's been distributed across everything from, you mm. know, condoms to ah. railway, you know, to, to trains to, I mean, it's just everywhere and everything, financial services. Do you yeah. think that he, that that is a congruent brand, Virgin? Well, it's okay. So that's an interesting one. You know, we're, we're naming stuff. We say to people, and also when we're testing stuff, sometimes, you know, you have to be careful when you test things because we say to people, listen, you know, if, if, if someone tested and said, here's five airline names, and, and there were these really distinctive names like, you know, Trans World something, and one of them was Virgin, nobody would ever pick Virgin as any of an airline, yet the guy succeeded so well in all these things so there's hey there's always there there's going to be exceptions to every rule even the ones that i'm going to try to you know that i promote there's always exceptions there's things that work just because they work but i think richard branson is a uh himself became a um how do i say a celebrity brand mm, yeah i think he himself i mean he got famous with virgin records and you know it's a virgin virgin is sort of a sexy young edgy kind of a name for a record what were they record stores weren't they yeah record label yeah record label right so sure at the time but got very famous and then but then he became very famous he was brilliant at making himself famous as this personality 
Then he did some crazy stunts. Like, didn't he try to fly around the world in a balloon? Yep. So he was this adventurous guy who lived on an island somewhere. Then he did, after Virgin Records, see, he did stuff. He didn't try to make Colgate bacon at first. (laughs) No. Right? He made Virgin Records, and then he had other things that were believable coming from Virgin Records, line extensions that are believable, right? Mm -hmm. So he had Virgin other things, right? Like Virgin, I don't know, other media things, didn't he? Yeah. But they weren't, he didn't go off and start Virgin sailboats right away. But then eventually, I think it got so you realize, he's a little bit like Elon Musk, right? Mm-hmm. He became so famous as such an entrepreneur in his own right that he could break the rules and and anything that he started, people were interested in. Does that make sense? Because he because he became so he be, the brand became synonymous synonymous with him to some extent. Yeah, and he was an adventurer and an entrepreneur and a, an inventor. So you could say, you see, I mean, he could come up with Virgin vacuum cleaners, and people, I think, at this point was. So he's a little bit of a outlier in that way, I think. Yeah, I guess it's, it's just his personal. It's his personal brand, really, isn't it? it that that, it's that a is so huge. Big. It's a huge, huge part of it. Yeah, right. yeah. So, I, and, and but it was associated with with adventure, entrepreneurship. He, he was he was another Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at Elon Musk is doing cars. He he started PayPal or something. Yes. But then he gets all, then he has Tesla, then he, then and now he's doing spaceships. And, and you start to associate any entrepreneurial thing in the world is coming out of this great inventor's mind. So, yes, I think that's a situation with him. I, most people are not going to be in that situation, Jane. No, that's, that, that's true. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about the microscript rules because right. uh, just before the podcast, I was saying, mm-hmm. you know, th- this was a topic that came up in one of my marketing masterminds and mm-hmm. everybody was told, you've got to go and buy this book. This is the <laughs> best book ever. I wish they told me. I'm telling you, Jan. I, wish they I, told know. Me. I, I know. I'm going to contact. I think I'm going to, I want you to give me the email of that gentleman you talked about. I will. I will. I, like, I wish I should contact him. Oh, but, um, yeah. He would He would love you, I'm sure, on his show because yeah. he loves what you do. But the thing is, I think he's probably taken all of your ideas and he's probably um, incorporated them into his messaging, which is why he's very clear. He's a good communicator because he's learned, he's learned from you. <laughs> sure. Well, that would be great. Here's the thing. So what happened with Microscripts was so we wrote the, about the dominant selling idea, but there was a missing piece because um, what happened once you had your big idea of a difference, you had to understand that people don't think in strategy. They think and they remember in terms of with words and they think in terms and remember in terms of words that you start to find out about a sentence or less. If you really study these things, all of history is written in six words or less. And I started to say, okay, what's the missing piece? And the missing piece was that the great branders then would usually encapsulate their ideas in a, a short sentence. It usually came out as a tagline that the whole world could remember and repeat, remember and repeat. So they, they started doing melts in your mouth, not in your hand. And they start, they did, well, later on, they did things like it's made from sugar. So it tastes like sugar for Splenda. That was later on. But still, they'd come up with these little a lot of times they rhymed, but they were like basically little prescriptions. And again, what makes it a microscript is 
it's a short phrase made to be remembered word for word that either that helps you take an action on the least number of words. It may, gives you enough information to inform or instruct. And they're words that people like to repeat. They use it to remember or inform or instruct people. For example, if you see something, say something. Yeah. So, for example, in history, right, when I said that people will write a 50,000-page book, read a 50,000-page book on Abraham Lincoln, and they morph it down into one sentence and say, who's Abraham Lincoln? They'll say he freed the slaves. Or you think about the American Constitution, all men are created equal. Or <laughs> they asked a rabbi, a famous rabbi, if he could explain the Bible. He said, I'll, give, I'll tell you to you in one sentence. Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you. All the rest is commentary. Give me liberty or give me death. Workers of the world, unite. You have nothing to lose but your chains, mm-hmm. right? Women want equal pay for equal work. The domino theory. All of history is remembered in six to eight words or less. And I promise you, so are brands. If you have a brand, if you have a message, break it down to these kinds of scripts. What do you remember about Franklin Roosevelt or or Winston Churchill, the greatest one of them all? What do we remember? We remember a phrase, six phrases maybe about Churchill, don't we? Mm Mm-hmm. And we, we remember them by heart. And there's an unlimited, your brain has an unlimited ability to remember these little scripts. Now, even your mother, when she raised you as a little child, gave you these little, a rule, and she gave you a little microscript. She'd say, in America, look both ways when you cross the street. She'd say, where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. Later, she said, the early word bird catches the worm. She'd say, you know, it got on and on. There's a zillion, of, a million zillion of them. And so in branding, what, what we found out, the greatest branders of all times were delivering you a message and then encapsulating in this little unforgettable script that, again, that nobody could forget. Now, today, the reason they're more important than ever is that what they really are is they allow people to tell others about things with word of mouth, which is still the most powerful medium there is. So you hold up your smartphone, all your smartphone uses a word of mouth machine. Mm-hmm. Except it's it's so powerful, you can word of mouth around the planet in one second. It used to be you could just do it across from one cave to another. Now you can, it's the caveman's favorite medium. But so here's, ready? All men are created equal. Give me liberty or give me death. Workers of the world unite. Do unto others as you have others do unto you. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then I talked about uh, later on the O.J. Simpson trial where, I mean, it's, it's famous around the world where Johnny Cochran said, if the glove doesn't fit, you must quit. 30 years later, it's the only thing anyone remembers. And so we realized, so here's some of the ones that the great guys wrote. They laughed when I sat down at the piano. One of the fa- it's supposed to be the most famous tagline of all times. Wheaties, breakfast of champions. Chunky soup, the soup that eats like a meal. It's not TV, it's HBO. Timex, Timex watch, takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Get Hall's mentholiptus with vapor action, the ultimate driving machine. You're in good hands with Allstate. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Is it true that blondes have more fun? It softens hands, it softens hands while you do dishes. Or a diamond is forever. Yeah. This is what the greatest, this is what they knew. And they they didn't call them microscripts because I did coin that 
that term, which is probably the best one I ever did. But they're critical. I was just thinking when you were saying all of those, it's strange mm-hmm. the impact that they have on the brain because I'm mm-hmm. almost like in a trance listening to them. That you do, yes, you the are. The impact that they have, they're so powerful because they're, they're really conjuring up this idea and this story that is so clear. Yeah, you're so right. Yeah, yeah. and to hear one of them after another, literally, mm-hmm. it, it, as I said, it almost me into a trance. No, you're right because, see, see, I'm forgetting my own definition. You're right because what they are is story bites. They're story bites. What they do is they either tell you a whole story. For example, if I say Splenda, you know Splenda, right? It's mm-hmm. made from sugar, so it tastes like sugar. That's eight words. That's a whole story if you want to think about it. I can, I can write yeah. a whole essay on that. It tells you it's made from sugar, so therefore it sounds like it's more organic, which it isn't, by the way. But it sounds like it's more organic, made from a natural substance. And so, therefore, that's a reason to believe that it doesn't have an artificial taste. Look at look at how, how much information is in that little story. It's made from sugar, so it tastes like sugar. So, or it either tells or it triggers a story in the brain. Do you remember? Yeah. It's like a movie. Yeah, I think that's the interesting thing about it, because something like that, you can think, well, actually, there could be a whole report, there could be a paper, there could be like a white paper or a magazine article or even a book written about that, about all the processes and so on. But the way that it creates that shortcut is just, as I said, it literally just, oh, my God, the way that it simplifies, it gives it huge power, doesn't it? It does. And And here's something else, too. You're in the UK, so I have a feeling of what your you know politics might be on the subject of Mr. Uh, Donald J. Trump. But <laughs> Donald Trump understood this. Yeah. And he was willing to use it relentlessly. And for all what I think are the deplorable purposes that he wanted to use these things for, because they're obviously they can be used for good or evil. They're so powerful. Yes. So, I mean, Winston Churchill used it to save the world. Donald Trump used it to almost destroy democracy, right? Mm -hmm. Here's what Hillary Clinton, the Democrats would give you a whole paragraph or a white paper. Here's what Trump gave you. Crooked Hillary, little Marco, low energy Jeb. He's talking about Jeb Bush. He called, what's his name? Pocahontas. Okay, ready? Make America great again. We're going to build a wall and Mexico is going to pay for it. Fake news. The election is rigged unless I win. Drain the swamp, the deep state. Lock her up. We'll win so much you'll be sick of winning. Bring back the stolen jobs. I'm a businessman. You know how much you know how many you know how many of the Clintons and the Democrats gave him? None. Mm. Do you think about that? Bring back the stolen jobs. Oh, everything. That there's a story behind that, isn't there? A huge All a huge this. story. All of it, all of it. But the thing is, but the biggest one, I think the most powerful and most deadly one was fake news. Because, mm-hmm. you know, these things go around the world, too. They're so powerful. I, I did a speech in India once, and I and I said to, I was doing a little thing on microscripts, and I said, you, I'll say the first part of the sentence, and you complete it. This was in India, in Mumbai. I said, if the glove doesn't fit, I swear to God, the whole audience went, you must have quit. And that was before the internet. These things are that powerful. Yes. And they and what's also interesting is that you can be I mean, you're talking to somebody about one of these and say the first half of one people complete it for thoughts they haven't had in 25 years. Mm-hmm. 25 years hadn't thought about when you say the first part of the microscript and they just finish it like it was 
you know, like top of mind. It's remarkable how the brain works that way. Yeah, yeah. And I was just thinking as as you speak, mm. it's a reason why a lot of people, they bring these ideas into adulthood that no longer serve them because they heard things like money doesn't grow on trees. Yeah, right. And right. so, and because it was so powerful and it was one of those microscripts, it just sticks with them in their brain forever and ever and ever. And they just believe that actually, yeah. you know, my life can't be abundant. I've always got to be scared of money. And, and so if that one phrase has that power. It does. Uh, well, said, here's yeah. another one. Here's another one. The war in Vietnam. Okay. Worldwide tragedy, tragedy for the U.S., Un unspeakable tragedy for the people of Southeast Asia. Okay, the the reason why we fought the war in Vietnam at, for trillions of dollars and millions, literally millions of people died, was because a two word microscript called the domino theory. Now everybody in America, every kid from six year old on up to grown ups, understood the well, actually three were with the, the the domino theory, right? And all the domino theories meant was that if we let one country fall to communism, all the rest are going to fall like dominoes all the way up until they're in your backyard in Sussex, England, I mean, or, or in Cleveland, Ohio, right? The domino theory. And that idea propelled, gave people not only a reason to believe and a reason to justify that whole process, the domino theory. And think of, think of what the domino theory, look at the picture it puts in your mind. Yeah, exactly. You can see it. You can hear it. It makes so much sense. And it's like, oh my God, it's so it's so obvious. And the thing that was so insidious was the domino theory wasn't true. It wasn't no. true at all, right? As soon as we got out of Vietnam, it turned out the the, the Vietnamese have been fighting invaders for five thousand years. They weren't gonna, you know, they weren't gonna let any. They weren't gonna let. They were try, They were basically fighting for their own independence. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, that thing influenced. I mean, that's that's how powerful they were. And, you know, you start to get into this stuff and then you realize there's there are all kinds of psychological reasons. The brain loves microscripts so much because in times of danger or jeopardy, you know, the brain, uh, things get very, very simple. And, and and what you do is what the brain does, it, it, it actually wants less data, not more to yeah. uh, be able to. So it wants to act as quickly as it can on the least amount of data. So too much data makes it dumber. Yeah, and you know, the brain. Things get very, very simple when all of a sudden you're you're swimming, you're snorkeling, and there's a big shark staring in your face. Things <laughs> get very. The brain gets very, very simple. So the thing about simplicity in these microscripts is that what you're doing is you're giving someone a rule to file away in the overhead bin that gives them the best prescription for action in the least amount of thinking, basically. Yeah, and. I, I was reading a report that was talking about the number of choices that we're overwhelmed with every day. And what it said yeah. is that everybody is in a constant state of overwhelm and that there are too many decisions that they're being expected to make there constantly. Are. And there so are. the people that actually create messages that are uh, that have some, some simplicity, mm -hmm. they, they're going to get noticed because they're creating those shortcuts that people are literally craving. They are, they are, they're, they're, and they're, they are, they're, there's mental shortcuts. What they, the thing is you, you find that, you know, the brain, see the executive part of your brain is, has about 40 watts of energy in it. And that's the evolved part of our brain, that frontal cortex, the part that has to think about stuff. 
But when it has a little microscope to remember, it doesn't have to think. So there's an actually, there's a, there's a whole evolutionary reason why we shorthand everything like this, why we reduce it down to the simplest idea that makes sense, that fits with our own story of how the, of life works. And we file it because it's, you can instantly retrieve it. And the brain knows what to do without having to waste energy and the, the executive. See, here's another one. These little microscript, it comes from these little rules of thumb that our brains run on called heuristics, little rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of times microscripts give you a little rule of thumb to do something like look both ways when you cross the street or where there's smoke, there's fire, stop, drop and roll. What happens if these little rules of thumb, if when a little kid, you know, throw a ball up in the air for a little kid to catch, little kid naturally knows how to catch it. Yeah. Remember the little rule of thumb that's it's called the gaze heuristic. Keep your eye on the ball. And as long as you do that, it'll intersect with you. And he's born with that. So is a falcon catches a prey in flight. Same thing you're, you're born with. So the brain could either do a thousand different calculus equations every time you throw the trajectory or can just remember, fix your gaze on the ball. Yeah. That's how you see there's no thinking involved. It knows what to do. All this goes forward to branding, right? It's it is it's pretty fascinating, and it's why so it's why the simple message always wins, but it's also why you want to give people a little rule that they accept and let them remember it when you're trying to you're trying to brand something, you're trying to um, put an idea in someone's head that sticks there. This is there's no there's no more powerful principle than this. Mm, I really love that so much. Mm. And of course, the thing about simplicity is that freedom is also associated with it, isn't it? Because, you know, if you're, if you're actually freeing up your, if you like, space in your brain, yeah. then it's a very good feeling, isn't it? Because we all need less, cl- less mental clutter. And it's a bit like yeah. living in, a, in an uncluttered environment. It just feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know why people like brands, Jane? Why we like brands? It's because we go, we go back, go back 10,000 years. It's the ultimate brain heuristic, a rule of thumb. The one I know is the one that's safe. That's, yeah. that's a primitive heuristic. The one I know is the one. So we, we're familiar with brands. We know what they are. We feel comfortable. We're not afraid. It takes away the risk of buying. Yeah. We reach for the brand. Yeah. The one I know is the one that's safe. That's how simple it works. Wow. I just love that thought. The one I know is the one that's safe. I'm going to remember that. Well, Uh, you're going to remember that. And you remember things like, I want you, the people who listen to this podcast, remember a brand is a difference attached to a name. And the fact is that you can have the best digital marketing on the planet, but if you don't have a message to go through, once I get their attention, I have to sell them something. And remember, you can have well, okay, well, here's here's what I learned back in, in from Mad Men. You can put a bear in a pink tutu and have a dance a jig on the roof of your house. A bear in a pink tutu, and the whole town will come out and watch the house. Well, the whole town will come out to watch, but not a single person will want to buy the house. <laughs> you can get all their attention. You see these ads that you don't even know what they're about, and, they, and they're telling people it's all about attention. Sure, it's about attention. Then you have to give them a reason to spend their money and choose you over the five other choices that they have. Mm. And if you don't do that, you're not you're not doing your job. And you you must we say idea first, everything else later, including your naming. 
So the idea is that difference. When you're branding, you're not branding anything unless you figure out this idea, the center of what the, the product is in that dominant selling idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's you on the way to, there's a whole process we write about in the books, but then that gets you on the way to coming up with your micro scripts and really having the core of everything. And then from that, now you, your website writes itself, your pitch writes itself when you, when you answer those questions. Don't mm-hmm. have those things. You don't have a differentiated brand, no matter mm-hmm. what the typical people say. Yeah. So the message is clear that you don't differentiate your brand through colors and styling and visual means. That's secondary. You differentiate it through through your message. Well, what those are is once you have the different message, the message of here's what we do that no one else does. This is the one thing the world needs us to do that only we can do. This is what we're famous for. What do you want to be famous for? We ask these simple eternal questions because we're looking for the center of the whole thing. That's what I learned from the Israeli special forces guys. Where's the center? Where's the center? It's a universal theory of everything. Okay. So you're looking for that center, that difference. It makes all the difference. Excuse me. Logos and color palettes, they're wonderful. They're essential. But what they become is the signage. When I drive into a mall and I see Best Buy with a signage, it says, oh, that's the brand I'm looking for. That brand here. This is where I go. This is my brand. If I look on a sports field and I see two teams with different uniforms, oh, I know the ones to root for. If I see Delta Airlines, they've got a big tail on their plane. It's the signage that points me to the brand that identifies and says this brand here. Yeah. So it's critical. Yeah, but it's yeah, not the difference. It. it stands. It just represents the difference, and and it helps make it familiar. Yes, it. Remember, we talked about the one I know, the one that's safe. It helps make mm-hmm. it familiar and consistent. All that's good, but that comes after you find out what's the mm-hmm. difference that makes the difference that's going to make you the number one yes. choice of customers. Yes. So every day. a lot of my clients are consultants or their coaches or their you know, small business owners mm-hmm. and. And when I say to them, what yeah. do they do? I mean, obviously they come to me because sometimes they are struggling to get mm-hmm. sales for their business and to stand out. So that often they'll right. have some trouble actually mm-hmm. saying what they do or they'll describe it in a very generic way. So they'll say, well, I'm a, a female mm-hmm. empowerment coach or I'm a, a leadership coach mm-hmm. or I'm an economic yep. consultant or a political consultant or something mm-hmm. like that. So they'll describe themselves in that very, very generic mm-hmm. terms. So what what would you say sure. to people like mm-hmm. that? What would be the best way for them to develop a microscript for what they do when they are feeling, oh, there's so many, so many people that do exactly what I do. That's the problem they have. Yeah. And it is, it's a, it's a little bit of a paradox because in one way, you know, every individual is unique and different. So in some ways, you know, you know, being a, a personal brand or being a celebrity brand is um, you start out as being as unique as a snowflake. Problem is that then there's 80 billion yeah. of us. <laughs> and I would say that, remember we say the idea first, if I say, okay, now I'm going to give you, here's a real basic one, Jane. It's not in the book either. I should have put it in. This It's how simple this stuff is. It's almost corny. But every time someone sees a brand, any brand message of any kind, they need to walk away with three things in their head. So the three W's, what is it? 
Why do I need it? And why do I buy it from you? Those are the three W's. You can differentiate on any one of those. But the first thing is, if someone says, well, I'm a consultant in X, well, okay, that's what is it? You know, people do know that you're a consultant. You're not a kindergarten teacher. They need to know, okay, but, but why do I need it is something about the benefit, which may or may not be obvious. But the last one is, why do I yeah. buy it from you? And it, and it may be, the, and, and sometimes those blend together. If you are a consultant, but you have to be a little bit creative here, and you offer a specific process, or you have a, a certain record of success, or you are differentiated in some way because you are the one that all the, the very, very famous people turn to. I'm just you yeah. know making stuff up. Or something that is some sort of real sort of tangible thing that you can point to and say, I, so I'm the, see, the is the most powerful word in, mm-hmm. in marketing. Well, actually, the most powerful two words are the only. Those are the two most powerful words. So if you say, I, when you say I'm an empowerment consultant versus I am the empowerment consultant who does yeah. blank. Yeah. Do you see the difference? You want to find that thing that that is is definitive, and that sets you apart and says and suggests that you are unique in a specific way. And uh, it doesn't mean you may not discover that immediately. It may take you a few years even to discover what your specificity is. But you're just positioning yourself, really. So people talk about I want a personal brand. Sometimes you have to earn mm-hmm. that personal brand. Or sometimes you have to make up a, you have to be creative. The other thing is, I will say this, I got this from Graham Weston. There are riches in niches. Meaning that, especially nowadays, the more you specialize in 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 an area that people need, the better you're going to be. Yep. That's right. Absolutely. And and, uh, yes, definitely. Personal brands... They everybody has this tremendous potential, but they take a little work. They do, and, but you know you can do it. Yeah, well, well. Listen, it's been such a fascinating discussion, Bill. You know, I just want to thank you for taking this time to talk to us today. It's just been such an honor and a privilege because I really love your books, and I would like to say to any of our listeners, just go and buy them because you will learn so much. If you've enjoyed this interview, there is so much more in Bill's books. And you've got something very exciting that you've been working on recently as well, haven't you, Bill? Would you like to tell us about that? Oh, that was great. You're a real pro, Jane. I love the way you set up me for my promo. (laughs) That was good. I like it. Well, we just talked about it at the very beginning, but, and also I will, well, we can, uh, I'll tell people where they can see this. But I've spent the last 25 years in a business model where I can go in one-on-one, go into companies, and they hire me to come in and have to unfortunately pay a lot of money because I can't afford, you know, I can do one or two of these a month. And I, so I have to charge, but we wanted to figure out how to scale this knowledge. It's the most important marketing and brand knowledge there is in the whole world. And, and these, this new world of online courses is the way to do it. So we are creating a, a what we call the Brand Titans Master Course. 
It's going to be online. We've already got we've got the promo in the first class. You can see what it's going to look like. We're going to be finishing it over the next couple of months. But I would love to send or you know have people see the trailer, see the first special course for free, and if they would like to sign up, sign up now because you know we're gonna for charter members we're gonna figure out it's very special pricing but you'll be able to learn everything that we know and everything i teach and everything i do with clients now for a tiny fraction of what it used to be and it's available to anyone whether you're a startup whether you're a giant corporation and i think it's going to be very entertaining and worthwhile it's all about the stuff we talked about yeah and i've already seen a preview and it's good yeah yeah, you can, you can, and um, if I can say this, it's called the Brand Titans Master Course, Bill Schley, S-C-H-L-E-Y. And I think you go on YouTube and put that in, you'll come right up. I think people are going to really enjoy it. We're thrilled about yeah, it. Yeah, and we'll, so. we'll, we'll put the uh, link in the notes as well. So you just, just have to go sure. to the uh, episode notes and you'll be able to access it from there as well. Right. Right. Well, so look, so Jane, thank you. And um, I'm just, I just, I'm so excited to have people in the U. Um, UK is my oh, favorite really? place in the world. I'm so excited that people actually know about some of these things in the U- UK. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have a movement. You have a following. <laughs> yes, most definitely. So I w- Oh, my God. We have to talk about that after the show, Jane. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thanks again, Bill. And we'll look forward to yeah. releasing the episode and really can't wait for your course. Bye okay, for now. wonderful. Thanks for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to rate and review my podcast as it will help me bring the power of connection to the world. I work one-to-one to help entrepreneurs ignite the power of authentic connection in their businesses and lives. I also help them accelerate their results through attracting and converting more of their ideal clients And if this is something you'd like to do too, why not head on over to www.idealclientsuccess.com slash masterclass and I'll show you how.